What uh, an amazing Sabbath day it's been already. You know, Sabbath is a, is a word for rest. I mean, and that's what we do on the Sabbath, right? We, we rest from the normal routine. We gather as a family of God, and we just ask God to restore and renew a right spirit within us, restore and renew a passion for him. Would you just join me in that prayer? Lord Jesus, we have come here to sit at your feet, to rest in your presence, to rest in your holiness. You said that you're standing at the door and knocking, and if anyone hears your voice and opens the door, that you will come in and just feast with us. Lord, we invite you in. Even as we've lifted up to you our praise, we ask you now, would you speak to us through your words? Speak, Lord, your servants listen. And in listening and in you speaking, Lord, we are asking you to restore and renew our soul and our passion for you. We pray it in Jesus' holy name, amen. Hey, this morning, we're gonna be talking about friends. We're gonna be talking about community, the people that you intentionally surround yourself with or unintentionally surround yourself with, the people that you do life with, your life group. Uh, and, and we're gonna do this because the reality is those that are in your community, the people that you surround your life with, and students, I want you all to really think about this for a moment. It really does have an outsized kind of proportional impact on your devotion to Jesus or your lack of devotion to Jesus. Our community has a huge impact on whether we follow Jesus with a whole heart or whether we follow Jesus in a half-hearted fashion. I read this recently, and, and, and it took me a minute to come around, but I've, I've really decided that this statement is true. Describe your friends, and I will describe your faith, your walk with Jesus. That's why parents uh, often say, students, check me out on this. Have you ever heard your parents say to you, bad company corrupts good morals? How many of y'all have ever heard parents say that? None? No, yeah, there's a few. Okay, one. Thank you. Parents, what's wrong with y'all? Get with it. Uh, who knew that was straight out of scripture, right? The reality is uh, the people that we surround ourselves have an amazingly huge impact on our devotion or lack thereof to Jesus. Now, now let's admit it. Some friends, some people that we do life with, some in our community, we're just stuck with, right? I, I mean, we didn't get to choose them. If we had an option, we wouldn't choose them, but, but we're stuck with them. I mean, coworkers are that way, right? I mean, you could quit, I guess, and go get a different job, but then you'd be stuck with some of those coworkers too, right? And so we're kind of stuck with certain coworkers. Uh, we're, we're stuck with uh, relatives and in-laws, right? I mean, you fall in love, you marry someone, and they come with a whole lot of... Um, I'm not going to use the word baggage. I'm going to say they come with a whole lot of uh, uh, loved ones. 
And you're stuck with all of those loved ones. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you, you've been there. You've done that, right? And neighbors are the same way. You're kind of stuck with whoever moves in next door. I guess you could sell your house, uh, go move to another apartment complex. But I mean, that's kind of hard to do. So you're kind of stuck with your neighbors. But the reality is you and I choose most of the people that we do life with. Think about it, the person that you date and then the person that you marry. Uh, that's a choice that we make. The people that you socialize with, the people that you work out with, vacation with. And here's the thing that we're going to talk about in this message today. How important it is that we choose wisely because the kind of people you hang out with will largely determine the kind of faith that you practice. Now, where is this coming from? It's really coming out of this very text that we've been studying for now. This is the third week. Paul is, is just facing imminent death. He has been condemned to death by the emperor Nero. He knows that he is under a death sentence. He knows that his day of death is drawing near. Uh, and so he knows that day is quickly approaching. And he writes these words to his friend Timothy. And, and I'm going to invite you, if you would, would you just stand with me? And we're going to read these words together uh, that Paul wrote to his child in the faith, his son in the faith. Timothy. And by standing, I'm inviting you to make a declaration. Uh, God, by standing, I'm honoring you and your word, and I am declaring, I'm just inviting you to make this declaration. God, that your word is my authority for my faith, that is what I believe, and my practice, that is what I do. Uh, would you read these words with me? I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Amen. God bless you. Go ahead and grab a seat. And, and, and here's honestly what I hear Paul saying. Describe your friends, and I will describe your faith. In these words, he really is saying that, or at least I hear him saying that. And so Paul is saying, therefore, choose your friends wisely. If you're taking notes and you want an outline, here's point number one in the outline. You need not just friends, you need your friends. You need people to do life with. You need a community. You need your friends. Where do I get that? Paul, he, he's saying to Timothy, hey, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race that God set out for me to run. And Timothy, guess what, man? Here, here's the deal. You gotta understand, I have finish this race. I've kept the faith in doing so. And Timothy, I'm about to claim my reward, this crown of righteousness that Jesus is going to give to me. And he's already said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. And he's saying, Timothy, I'm just about to go claim my crown. But in the moment that he says that, he says, Timothy, here's something that I think is so important for you to understand and for all the people at the heights to understand. 
Even as I think in terms of I've kept the faith, I've finished the race that God called me to run, I realize that I didn't run that race alone. I realize that there were others who ran before me and there are others who are running alongside of me and there are others who are running along after me and all of the people who are running with me, it was their strength and their encouragement that enabled me to finish the race that God called me to run. Paul is saying, not only me. Timothy, it wasn't just me that finished the race. It wasn't just me that kept the faith. Timothy, it was the support and the encouragement and the equipping and the teaching and the prayers of everyone around me that I was running with. And what he's saying here is, following Jesus is a team sport. What he's saying is we're better together. We talk a lot about the vision that God has given us to wake the world up to Jesus. And we talk about five G's and five G's are not five boxes to check. It's not five commitments to keep. No, no, no. The five G's are just a description of who we are in Christ. In Christ, we're a new creation. And if we're going to work, if we're going to wake the world up to Jesus, we have to live out of who we are and who we are. God designed us in such a way that he designed us to be saved by grace and to live by grace. And he designed us for the gathering. He designed us to follow him as a team. Faith is a team sport. And yes, to finish the G's, he designed us to be growing and giving and going. But the point I want you to see is that you and I are made for the gathering. We're made to run the race and keep the faith as a team. Your life group is not intended to be a club that you join. Your life group is intended to be a community that you run your race with. Why? Because we all need the encouragement that comes from others who are running alongside of us if we're going to keep running the race. That's why it says in scripture, let us not let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You ever just wake up and you're just thinking, I just ain't feeling it today. I'm just, I'm just not feel it. But, but then you get around some others who are feeling it. I mean, and they're feeling the faith and they're feeling love for Jesus and you see their love for Jesus and you hear what Jesus revealed to them in their prayer time and their study time and you see the way God is working through their life and all of a sudden you start feeling it again because you were encouraged by someone else. You were encouraged towards love and good deeds. Paul is saying not only me, Timothy, I needed a community of faith to run my race with. And if you don't like being a part of the community, you're not in a life group, or you just show up here on a Sunday morning and, and it's just you and maybe a spouse or you and your family, and then y'all dart out of here. Listen, if that's you, it doesn't mean that you hate Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're lost. It doesn't mean that you're gonna go straight to hell. Don't pass go, don't collect $200. But I'll tell you what it does mean. It does mean that you don't really understand God fully yet. And you don't understand the kingdom of God yet because God is a big God. God has a lot of kids. And God says that he wants a huge family. 
And he's not gonna rest until we love him, and guess what, until we love each other. And then one day he's gonna create a new heaven and a new earth, and he's gonna take all of his family together with him and live on this new earth, in this new heaven, and we're gonna live there together, and there ain't gonna be no lone rangers in heaven, amen? We're going to be a community, and God is just saying to us, you need your community now, not just later. So it really is true. Describe your friends, and I'll describe your faith. And so point number one is this. You need a community to run with. You need your friends. Point number two is this. So choose your friends wisely. Where am I getting that? Notice what Paul says to Timothy. I've fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And guess what? Uh, Nero's about to execute me, Timothy, so, so I'm about to claim this crown of righteousness. But Timothy, here's the thing I want you to understand, and I want you to understand it for your race. And here's the thing I want you to understand, people at the heights, and I want you to understand it for your race. It wasn't just me that was running. No, no, no. I had a community that I ran with, and I needed the community, and I wouldn't have finished the race. I wouldn't have kept the faith without the others around me. But he says, I chose wisely, look at this, this part of the text, but also to all who have loved his appearing. See, when Paul started choosing his community, when he started choosing those that he was going to run his race with, those that he was gonna live out his faith with, what he's saying is he chose intentionally, he chose strategically, he chose people who were looking for the Lord's appearing. In other words, he chose people who loved Jesus. He chose people who understand that we're strangers in a strange land and that this world is not our home. He chose people who pray a lot and ask for forgiveness from those they've sinned against a lot. He chose people who were trusting in Jesus and walking with Jesus. He chose people who were praying, come Lord Jesus, a lot. He chose his friends strategically. And he chose those who understood that though we struggle with sin and temptation in this life, Jesus is gonna come back and in the life to come when we're not just justified, not just sanctified, but when we are glorified, there will come a day that we will no longer struggle with sin and he chose people who long for that day. That's why he said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's saying someday the struggle is gonna be over. Someday there will be no more temptation. Someday there will be no more sin. Someday no more sickness or disease. Someday we are all going to rest with Jesus in heaven as a family and I long for that day. That's what he's saying, right? Now listen to me. Paul is saying if you're going to come to the end of your run and you're going to be able to say, I finished the faith. I kept the faith. I Finish the race that Jesus laid out for me. You better be running with a community. And you better be choosing people around you who long for the Lord's appearing, who long for the day that we are all gathered around the throne with Jesus. Look at some of the friends 
that Paul chose. You remember he's on his way to Damascus to kill the Christians. And he's struck by this blinding light and he literally, Jesus appears to him. And he's like, who are you, Lord? And in that very moment, Paul is converted. And Paul is now going from trying to crucify Jesus to call on Jesus, Lord. And now he's a bona fide believer, follower of Jesus. He's blinded. And so they lead him by the hand to Damascus. And God appears to a disciple of Jesus in Damascus by the name of Ananias. And God says, hey, Ananias, there's this dude named Saul. He was Saul before he became Paul. And, and I want you to go and I want you to minister to him and lay hands on him so that he can get his sight back and I want you to baptize him. And Ananias is like, uh, no, thank you. Now, I've heard about Saul and Saul's killing Christians and I don't want to die today, Jesus. And Jesus is like, Ananias, get yourself over there. And so, so Ananias is like, okay, Jesus, but I'm gonna die and it's gonna be your fault. And that, that's, that's my interpretation of the text. Maybe it doesn't say exactly like that. So Ananias goes, Ananias lays his hands on Saul. Saul receives his side. Ananias baptizes Paul. And now guess what? It says that he stayed there many days and there's no telling the depth, the, 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 the complete picture of the impact that Ananias had on Saul. But I'm telling you, I believe until the day Saul died, he thanked God for Ananias, this one who was the very first to reach out to him, the one who prayed with him, the one who baptized him. Who else did Paul put in his life group, in his community? Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And then there's Priscilla and Aquila, right? This, this amazingly godly couple that helped Paul start churches all across Asia Minor. And then he, he befriended some preachers. Did you know it's not bad to have a preacher as your friend? I mean, he was friends with Peter and James and John, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And who else? Well, there's Luke and John Mark. Luke was his physician. John Mark was somebody he was trying to disciple. And John Mark would kind of come in and drift out and come in and drift out. And finally, with John Mark, it took. And then Luke wrote one of the gospels along with the book of Acts. And John Mark wrote, wrote one of the gospels, no doubt, with Paul's input. And I just want you to stop and think about who was in Paul's circle People who are writing the Gospels. That's not a bad person to have in your friend group. And then there was Timothy, his disciple in the faith. If you read in Romans chapter 16, he just starts listing other friends that he had. Mary and Adronicus and Eponidas and Urbanus and Rufus and Hermes. See, Paul knew that his faith would either be strengthened or weakened by the people with whom he surrounded himself. Does that make sense? It does, right? Who's in your community? Who's in your friend group? Who's coming to your mind right now? The names. Now, let me ask you a question. Just insert that person. Students, I want you to think about this. The ones that you just named, when you're around them, do they encourage you to run the race that Jesus has set before you? Or do they kind of discourage you? Do you kind of have to hide the race that you're running? Do they encourage you to keep the faith? Or do they kind of cause you to doubt the faith? 
So honestly, who's in your friend group? See, my prayer, my prayer, I genuinely mean this. My prayer is that when you get to the end of your run, when you know you're standing at death's door, just like the Apostle Paul, my prayer is that you will be able to say, I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. And I'm about to go to Jesus and I'm gonna get to claim this crown of righteousness. But I understand I finished the race and I kept the faith, not just by my own faith and my own strength and my own willpower and my own doing. First of all, I was empowered by the Holy Spirit, but also I was surrounded and supported by so many. And I thank God for those who ran before me and I thank God for those who ran with me. And I thank God for those who are gonna run after me. And I know that I would not be able to say, I pray that you can say this someday. I know I would not be able to say I have kept the faith if it hadn't been for my mom and my dad who prayed for me, if it hadn't been for the person who led me to faith in Jesus, if it hadn't been for the person who baptized me, for the person who discipled me, if it hadn't been for the people in my life group who loved me and encouraged me and showed me a godly example of what it means to be a godly husband or a godly wife or a godly parent. Oh, I thank God for the people in my life group. I thank God for the people who surrounded me in those seasons of discouragement. I thank God for the godly counsel that I have. I thank God for the preacher who taught me, the worship leaders who led me to the throne of God. I'm about to claim the crown of righteousness, but I want you to know I have so many people to thank because they were there with me every step of the way. Encouraging me, keep going, keep going. Finish the race, keep the faith. It's true, describe your friends and I can describe your faith. So choose your friends wisely. A couple of years ago, I read a book, The Other Half of Church. I shared with you some of the things that I learned out of that book a couple of years ago, but since I know you forgot it, uh, and since I forgot most of it, I decided to kind of go back and peruse it and share it with you again at this point because it talks about the importance of who we surround our life with. And in this book, it's a scientific approach to how your brain functions and how relationships form. Just listen to this. The left side of the brain is kind of the thinking side of the brain, the logical side of the brain. The right side of the brain is the side of the brain that processes taste, touch, sight, smell, and the right side of the brain works so much faster than the left side of the brain. I mean, the right side of the brain is processing all of this information six times per second. That's how you know some things before you know it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, your right side of your brain, I mean, it's processing stuff and it's going, uh-oh, this doesn't look good. You need to get out of Dodge before the left side of your brain has even had a chance to start thinking. And you call it intuition, but reality, it's just the right side of your brain processing information before the left side of your brain can understand what the right side is saying fully, right? But let me tell you something else. It's in the right side of the brain where loving relationships and attachments are formed. 
Because the right side of your brain is always processing three questions. Uh, Number one, when you walk into a room, the right side of your brain, six times a second, is looking around, and the right side of your brain is asking this question, who is happy to see me? Uh, You know what I mean, right? I mean, you walk into a room, and some people are like, ah! And other people are like, Yeah, you've been there, right? You know that. And and so guess what? The right side of your brain's paying attention. And the right side of your brain is going, okay, whoa, 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 who's happy to see me? And then the right side of your brain's asking a second question. Who are my people? And by the way, that's an easy one to answer. My people are those whose face lights up when I walk into the room. Because as it turns out, we love those who love us. As a matter of fact, we love God because God first helped me out. Anybody remember? He first loved us. You see, we love those who love us. So the right side of our brain is always asking, who are my people? Okay, wait a minute. Oh, it's the one whose face lit up when I walked into the room. And then the right side of your brain is asking a third question. How do my people behave? See, once you identify these are my people, then you start watching how your people behave. And you you kind of form conclusions that then impacts your behavior. Uh, Do my people ride motorcycles and wear leather jackets? Uh, Do my people, uh, do they all hang out at the 19th hole and drink too much? Uh, Do do my people just sit around and gossip a lot? Uh, Or do my people, do they pray a lot? Do they go to church a lot? And, And do they confess their sins and do they ask for forgiveness and do they do they try to walk with Jesus do they talk to other people about Jesus see the reality is uh, whose whose face lights up Uh, who are my people how do my people behave and then actually the author of the book made this statement that just blew me away and immediately I'm just like that is so true and I hate to admit that it's true but here's what the author said Your behavior is shaped more by your friends than by your beliefs. Now, before you go, no way, can't we all admit that we all have acted contrary to our beliefs in order to fit in with the people that we were around? Here's the reality. Your behavior is impacted more by your friends than by your beliefs. That's why Paul says, choose your friends wisely. So I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you right now, you don't have to bow your heads, close your eyes. But I do want to ask you to do a friend audit. Who would you say right now are your two closest, three closest friends? Who's, who's in your immediate group, the four or five? Uh, don't think of any more than 10 people. Who are you doing life with? Whose names come to your mind? And then ask the question, are those individuals encouraging me to finish the race? Are they encouraging me to keep the faith? Or are they having the opposite effect on me? Students, 
Can I just say to you real quickly, that's why it's so important that you make sure that you have a lot of friends who are right here on these center pews with you. And I know we do this a lot, but I just look down and I realize I'm preaching to a bunch of students and not every pastor gets to do that. Would y'all just join me in just saying thank God for these students, amen? And uh, man, we got a ton of young adults over here and uh, goodness, I, you know, the best dating advice I ever heard is just run hard and fast after Jesus. Look to your left, look to your right. Find somebody who's running alongside you and date that person. Can I just say to you, man, when it comes to finding your friend group, it's harder to find the person who's gonna encourage you to keep the faith in a bar than it is a young adult ministry in a church. So I commend you for being here and being a part of this group. And I encourage you to find friends out of this group, young adults and uh, adults that are married. Man, your life group is a great place to find friends. This worship gathering is a great place to find friends. Uh, this, whomever you're in discipleship with, somebody that you're discipling or being discipled by, a great place to find friends. So here's, here's the second thing. Do a friend audit. Second thing that I'm inviting you to do in response to this message. Be very strategic in gathering around you two or three, four or five really godly friends who will encourage you to run the race that God has for you and to keep the faith once delivered to the saints. Let me say this too, and, and this is really close to the closing, so just hang on, okay? Don't miss out on the greatest friend of all, and his name is Jesus. And if you have never, never really become a friend of Jesus, let me tell you how. You recognize that this kingdom, the kingdom of this world, it, it, it's, not, it's not half the story. It's just a glimpse. But there's another kingdom, and it's the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven is gonna crash into earth someday fully and finally when Jesus returns. And Jesus is the king of that kingdom, and Jesus wants you to be a citizen of his kingdom. But, but to make that happen, he had to die on a cross in your place because the wages of sin is death. God is going to destroy sin, and sin will not be a part of his kingdom. And if you hold on to your sin, he'll destroy you with your sin. But if you'll give your sin to him, Jesus died for your sin on the cross. And if you'll give him your sin, he'll take your punishment upon himself. He'll let his death be in substitute for your death. See, Jesus died and he was buried, but he rose again, conquering sin, death, Satan, and hell. And if you want to be a friend of Jesus, you want Jesus in your friend group, let me tell you something. What you do is you repent of your sin and you place your faith, your trust in Jesus. Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I believe you died for me. And I trust you to save me because you said you would. And then you commit yourself to follow him. You say, Jesus, I confess you as my Lord, my God, my King, and I'll follow you and obey you. And I'll make your word my authority for faith and practice. Listen, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Make sure that Jesus is your friend. Final, final point is this. I want to invite you 
to add a friend. Hang on to this thought. And then I'm gonna get Madison to come and just drive the point home and close us out. Paul surrounded himself with some incredibly godly people. I mean, here's James and Peter and Paul, I mean, John Mark and, and, and Luke and Ananias and, I mean, goodness, he surrounded himself with such godly people who encouraged him to keep the faith. But, but he didn't say, oh, no, no, this is my little holy huddle, and I don't want anybody else in my holy huddle. No, 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 no. I don't want any sinners in my huddle because they will taint my huddle, and I just want to stay pure for Jesus. No, 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 no. He, he got people around him to pray for him, and he said to his friends, will you pray that God will give me the boldness to go and share Jesus with those who are far from Jesus? And here's the thing. I'm going to invite you today to strategically ask Add a friend who is far from Jesus to your group. And I'm going to encourage you with you being surrounded by godly people who are encouraging to keep the faith to then venture out into the fields that are white unto harvest and befriend someone. And here's kind of a mantra that I would love for you to embrace. Who's my one? Who is the one person who's far from Jesus that God has put on my heart that I'm going to pray for and love and serve and I'm going to invite them to come and embrace Jesus. Who's my one? Add a friend. See, your friends give you the encouragement you need to go to that friend and be the hands and the feet of Jesus to that friend. Madison Bridges, our pastor for Evangelism Discipleship is gonna come and just share a couple of details about that and then she's gonna close out our service. I am so grateful for Madison. Uh, would you just help me to say thank you, Madison, for serving in this ministry. We love you. God bless you. Thank you, Gary. Okay, it's noon. Don't check out. Give me two minutes and then we all get to go to lunch. Sound good? All right, amen. Here's the deal. It's easy sometimes to hear a sermon like that and to check out halfway through because the gulf between where you're at and what he's talking about is so far, you just kind of file it away as a good Christian advice to tell somebody else about. But here's the deal. The reason we're going through this series on how to run the race and how to fight the fight is because the race is worth running and the fight is worth fighting, but running's not the goal. Like what we're talking about, like having friends that invest in you and point you back to Jesus, that's not the goal, that's the means to the end. That's what helps us know Jesus better and live like he called us to better. So if you go out of here and you're like, we have got to uninvite Diane from our group, she is. <laughs> Missed the point. That was not the point. So I mean, genuinely, the reason I, I took the job as the discipleship and evangelism pastor is because I've seen how transformative it is when we stop putting off things like evangelism because they're big and scary and focus on Bible study when we are just obedient wherever we're at to do what God's called us to do. I mean, I've watched like 14-year-old girls go from being shy and not wanting to hold eye contact to sharing the gospel and goodwill because God put it on their heart. And that kind of transformation is like right there for all of us on the other side of obedience. And Gary talked a lot about one way that we can be, can we can set ourselves up for success in running the race and that's in guarding our friendships. So I'm just kind of here to make sure we all got the point. And the point isn't stop being friends with people who don't know Jesus. Not the point. 
The point is to stop using those friendships as indulgence to like comfort ourselves from how hard being a Christian is. You don't wanna be the person that comes home and is awesome and reads your kids Bible stories and then goes to work and act like you don't know God. People are not supposed to help us escape from the responsibility of being a Christian. They're, they're the goal, that's the point, is that we are loved by God and so we show his love to others. And so what we want to do as a church is not to go to either extreme, not to have like two lives, one where you're a Christian and one where you're not and you use friends as you know, an escape from how hard being a Christian is. But we don't want the other extreme either where we're a holy huddle and we're really good at running the race, but we're really just kind of like running laps with other Christians and talking about how awesome we are at Bible study. We want to actually do the work of being a Christian. And so here's what we're going to do together as a church. Because one of the enemy's greatest schemes is to lie. And so he says, well, that is just so complicated. You would never be any good at it. And who would take you seriously anyways? Don't do it. Don't worry. Just try to minimize your impact on the world around you. And that's good enough for God. Bad. Boo. Not the point. I promise you, obedience is not this hard, complicated, complex, far off thing that you're like years away from. It's right there. And what we're gonna do as a church is we're gonna fight the lie that it's too complicated together by taking it one step at a time. And the step that I want us all to take starting today is to pray and ask God to give us one name. For some of you, it's one of those friends that let's be honest, they're not a great influence and you just kind of like use that friendship to escape from the responsibility of being who you know God's called you to be. And you need to stop using them as an escape and start seeing them as a broken person that's hurting that God loves. And go into that friendship, say, hey, I've been wrong, we've been wrong, but let me just show you the better way that I know about. For some of you, it, you you're, you're in a holy huddle. No judgment, it's fine. We've all been there. And the job is for you to start looking outside of that holy huddle to the people that are in your neighborhood that always seem stressed and a little overwhelmed, or maybe the person at work that you avoid talking to because their life seems like a hot mess and you don't want any of that hot mess to get on your good Christian life. Because that's probably who God wants you to go to. So all we're doing this week, we're going step at a time is we're gonna pray and we're gonna ask for one name, one name. And for the next couple of weeks and months, we're gonna work together as a church to take more and more steps towards that person to love them like Jesus. But we're not gonna overcomplicate it because then we're all gonna quit and get overwhelmed and we don't wanna do that. We're gonna start with one name. So if you are willing and open to that, would you join me in praying right now and asking God to reveal a name? So you just bow your heads, close your eyes and open your hands in a posture of receiving. Nothing magical about it. Just helps our body, our souls do what our bodies are doing. Pray with me. God, show me who it is. Show me who's the one person in my life that I've been missing or I've been misusing. Put a name on my heart and put it there so clearly that I can't deny it. I can choose to disobey and not do anything about it, but I don't wanna be able to deny it. Show me who that one person is. In Jesus' name, amen.